Christian, are you talking to me? Christian, are you talking to me? Okay. Um, let me get set up and wait for Katie to get here before you start. Okay. By the way, Christian, Katie's leading the first song, but I'm the one who's starting the prayer, who's doing the opening prayer. Okay. Did you get that? Okay. Um, speak louder into the mic because I can barely hear you. Thank you. St. Michael's, would you please stand? Lord, thank you so much that we get to come here and to worship you this Sunday. Lord, I pray for everyone who has to stay home because of illness, uh, specifically um, the Powells, Lord, that you would just send your healing hand on them, Lord. I pray that as they worship with us and as we worship as a church, we'll raise a mighty shout for you, Lord, and that you would go through us and lead us into your throne room, Lord. In your name.
see those that uh, come and those that don't. We hope you're watching. You know, uh, that's what that's what we want to be overcome by. <laughs> we don't want to be overcome by any virus or anything else. We want to be overcome by the presence of Almighty God. And I assure you, 
you know, you make the effort to come here and you will find him. You'll find the Holy Spirit in a really pronounced way. It's really good to see you all. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Jesus said the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. We praise thee, we bless thee, we worship thee, we glorify thee. We give thanks to thee for thy great glory, O Lord God, heavenly King, God the Father Almighty. O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sittest at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For Thou only art holy, Thou only art the Lord, Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, art most high in the glory of God the Father. Amen.
together the Colette. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you, one God, forever and ever. Amen. This morning's first lesson comes from the book of Zephaniah. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 7, commencing. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guest. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore, their goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. 
They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither shall, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the psalm. This morning's psalm is Psalm 90. And we'll read it responsively by the half verse. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. <laughs> Sorry. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth in the world, you turned man to destruction. For a thousand years in your sight, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. For we have been consumed by your anger. You have set our iniquities before you. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. The days of our lives are seventy years. And if by reason of strength they are eighty years, who knows the power of your anger? So teach us to number our days. Return, O Lord, how long? I guess we're done with the song. <laughs> Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Our New Testament reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. 
Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Matthew, chapter 25, beginning at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness." There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. So today is an interesting day. Um, it's interesting because... Originally, Father Powell was scheduled to preach this morning, and then yesterday they found out they had to go into COVID-19 protocol, so they are on quarantine for at least two weeks. they got to figure that all out. So pray for them and their family, because I got to go through that myself. It is not a pleasant experience. And so just pray for them that uh, God would provide them with health and wellness and if you, uh, I, I know for a fact over the next couple of weeks that there will be opportunities um, for us to press in and pray for what God's doing in our church because I don't know if you guys remember, but we did get hit 
a bunch of our families had to go through the COVID-19 protocol before. And there was a real sense, and Bishop's been saying this too, and I don't want to overstate it, but I do think that there's a sense in which we as St. Michael's, as we've been preaching recently, we've realized that there's, there's something that God wants to do especially in this place with the people who are gathered here today who are watching online, that God's doing something special at St. Michael's. That's always been true. But there's, a t- there's times, you see this throughout Scripture, there's times where the prophets will come forward and they'll say things like, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while that's a universal comment on our existence since Jesus came, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's also specific times where God wants to do something unique and important with you in your life, with this church. And I believe we're in that time right now, that this is actually a time where there's voices crying in the wilderness. The people are coming up here from this pulpit and they're calling out to you, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's something God wants to do here. And if you listen to these readings uh, today, you might have walked out. If all you got was the readings today, you might have walked out with some doom and gloom idea of who God is, right? That Zephaniah reading was hardcore. It was something about their blood will run out like rivers and their flesh will peel off like trash or refuse. Like, that's awful. We don't want to be a part of that crowd. But sometimes it's important that we hear those readings. You know, I went to a charismatic church for seven years. And they didn't read that much scripture during their service. Usually it was just whatever the preacher read uh, during his sermon to support whatever points he was making. Let me tell you, they never once picked Zephaniah to read in their church service where God's proclaiming judgment on his people. And I don't mean to criticize that church. I grew enormously there. They're a wonderful Holy Spirit-led church, and it was awesome to be a part of their community. But there is something amazing about the lectionary where you have to read these passages that you would never choose to read in your church service. And it reminds us of the balance of God's word. The Holy Spirit speaks not only through the New Testament, not only through Jesus, but all throughout the Bible. And the churches hold that, held that to be an essential part of our faith since the beginning. And so I just want to just talk about what is, what's going on when we hear this doom and gloom out of the Old Testament. How do we apply that to our life? Because, of course, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to experience the doom that is pronounced in the prophecies of the Old Testament. Jesus came so that we could, part of, we could be part of a new covenant where his grace will cover the multitude of our sins. So what does that mean when we think about this? Well, first of all, it's a reminder to us that even though we are in a busy, distracted, difficult life... The choices we make have an eternal consequence. It can be so easy when everything in the world is saying, you need to pay attention to this problem right now to forget that our mindset is not limited to the here and now. But we are actually citizens of a heavenly kingdom that will last for eternity. All throughout the Old Testament, you hear this over and over again. It's like wisdom is calling aloud saying, come, learn from me. Wisdom's like not a real exciting topic, right? It seems like something that you would learn from some older, you know, older gentleman who's wants, I'm going to teach you some wisdom, boy. Make sure you save your money while you're young. You know, it's like we have all these platitudes to describe wisdom. But in the Old Testament, again and again, wisdom is considered uh, life-saving. It's considered 
Something that can save you from destruction. And that when you don't turn to wisdom, when you don't seek wisdom, guess what? You're doomed. All throughout the Old Testament, it says that. And in the, into the New Testament, the message is follow the way of God. Follow the wisdom of God and you will be saved. Now, I had an, an illustration that I was thinking of when I was thinking about this. What's happening here when we're talking about the wisdom, and this whole sermon is going to be really centered around the wisdom of God, because we're, we're ending our finance, godly finances series. I think it was called biblical finances once, but godly finances is what we're talking about here. And we're talking about what does it mean to be wise with your finances. And we're going to get into that today. But I don't want you to just think of wisdom as, like I'm saying, a platitude or a list of rules that you need to follow in order to uh, succeed, right? Wisdom is actually more like when I'm taking Rowan out of our van at my house. We happened to butt right up against an alleyway. And sometimes people just speed right through there. Yesterday, this truck just came barreling down that alleyway. Big Dodge truck that could have taken you out. And Rowan is excited. As Well, I could just leave that as a statement. He's always excited. He has a place to be. He has a thing to do. I think he gets that from somebody, uh, maybe his parental line there. But he's always on a mission to get somewhere. And so when you get out of that, that van, he's like running. He's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to get this thing. He wants to run out into that alleyway in order to come around the van to get into the house. And every time, without fail, I have to remind him, hold my hand, wait. Look both ways. Now let's go across the van. That's what wisdom is calling to us throughout the entire Bible. Wisdom's like, wait, hold my hand, look both ways. Because there could be a truck barreling down the street. Imagine for a second, if you didn't have wisdom, you run into that alleyway and you get plowed over. You die. That's what the message in the Bible is about wisdom. It's not some platitude or some, well, if you're smart enough, you can figure it out. It's like, no, you hold on to the wisdom of God because otherwise you will die. Your choices have an eternal consequence. And we see that not just in the Old Testament, but in Jesus' parable that we're going to get into today. There's a tug of war in the way that we approach Christianity between the mundane, ordinary living out of our faith. The joys and the ups and downs that we experience in life and seeing them in light of Jesus. And the idea that we also are eternal beings. That what we do now matters unto eternity. I'm going to read this. Father Powell, so Father Powell wrote the notes for this sermon and he gave them to me last night. And they're really great notes. But I'm going to be preaching from it. So I'm going to read some of the stuff he says, right? He says, there's also always a tug of war in life between the mundane and the eternal. Between the blood, sweat, grief, and terror of ordinary living and joy. There is a bigger story. We are living for eternity. And this is my own comment. The only, it's the only motivation that can bring the incomprehensible joy and peace that we're promised in scripture is knowing that we live from the perspective of eternity, right? Because honestly, if you just looked at what's going on right now in the world, it would be really hard to have that peace and joy unless you know that there's another kingdom and that we're living for eternity. Because in the meantime, there might be some bad days ahead, right? There might be some hard things that we have to go through as a people and as a country, But we hold on to the hope that we're living for eternity and that God's ultimately in control. So let's take a little bit of a closer look at the gospel lesson in Matthew chapter 25. 
So Jesus likes to tell these things. We call them parables. So, parables. so he tells these stories. And the disciples ask him, rightfully, why do you always speak in these parables, right? And so in Matthew 13.10, he says, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? And he answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Keep that verse in mind, that 12. For the one who has, more will be given. It's going to come back to talk to us later. But here he's saying, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Do you know who that's talking about? He's talking about his disciples. You know who they are? They are the first bishops of the church. They are the first leaders of the early church. You know what Jesus is telling them and he reminds them throughout their ministry? The church has been given the secret to the kingdom of heaven. He's not differentiating between uh, the special few that hung out with Jesus. And then once they died, those, those secrets just kind of went back up to heaven. No, that has been passed down from generation to generation. And it lives in the authority of the church, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And not only that, but it's open to you because you have decided to be a part of what God's doing. You've decided to be a part of his church on earth. So when he talks in parables, the point he's making is, yeah, it's hard for people to understand, but you know what? I'm going to reveal that to you. And later in scripture, we find out that the way that Jesus reveals the teachings of his parables is through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. It says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. So why do I bring that up? I bring that up because sometimes we can come at the Bible and we can feel stumped. We can feel stymied. We don't understand what's going on. But the promise that we're given as we look at the scriptures is that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Do you have a question about what God wants in your life? Ask him to illuminate it to you. He will show you the way. He's not hiding from us. In fact, he's doing the opposite. He's looking for ways. He's pursuing ways to open up our minds to the things that he wants to teach us. So let's talk about this parable, right? It starts with the kingdom of heaven is like. And when you hear the kingdom of heaven, I think sometimes we think of, uh, you know, in movies where they bring in that character and every, almost every time, like the character who's just really happy, go lucky, wearing like kind of square clothes, you know, maybe he's wearing khakis and a button up shirt with a tie or something. He's, hello, how are you doing? You know, howdy. And he ends up being the Christian or the Mormon or the Amish or the, you know, he's some religious sect and it's like, that's the kingdom of heaven. It's just a bunch of happy, hunky door people walking around. Hello, good neighbor. How are you doing? You know, Ned Flanders from the Simpsons show is a great example of that, right? We sometimes think the kingdom of heaven, what Jesus keeps talking to us about, is so that we can all be like him. Oh, hey, how you doing? We're all nice to everybody. Everything's okay. And almost every time when that character comes up, Haley like elbows me in the ribs like, that's what you look like, you know, bouncing around. Saying, you know, that's not exactly what we're talking about when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, right? Because what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of heaven is a broad concept of the reality of the universe that God has created, the rules of the universe, and it includes everything from the horrendous death that Jesus died on the cross to the glorious resurrection to a marriage feast filled with good things. God's not talking about a bunch of people who are nice to each other. He's talking about people who are willing to go through the depths of hell to get to heaven. That's what Jesus did, and he's our prime example, right? 
People who are willing to give up everything to follow him. People who are willing to be in the fight. Because don't, don't mistake it. We are in a war for the hearts of men in our world. Jesus wants everyone to turn their hearts to him. And we get to be a part of that war. We get to be Jesus to the world and how we live and communicate. And if all you've got for your neighbor is, hey, neighbor, how you doing? And kind, nice platitude. That's not enough. God wants us to live for each other. To be able to show how to suffer well, how to go through the difficulties of life while still holding on to peace and joy. And you know what? In the midst of that, this parable that Jesus tells and many of the parables that he tells about the kingdom of God are about money. Like I said before, what you do with your money matters. So we're going to talk about four things that you can pull out of this parable. And these are kind of wisdom instances of how to think about money resources, time, energy, they're all in there, but we're specifically talking about money here. First of all, we've introduced in the first sermon that I preached about money, seek the kingdom of God first. Get your priorities in line. So the story that I thought of when I was looking at this is the story of this guy named Jacob. And Jacob is kind of one of the, how do I say it? He's, he, he's not a role model, right? Jacob is this weird character in the Bible who most of the stuff you hear about is he's lying or he's cheating or he's manipulating or he's trying to make things go his way. But somehow God is able to bless him in the midst of that. And it's because at the God made a promise to him and his family. It's not because he deserved it. He's a lot like us. But God made a promise to him to prosper him and his family. And through that, eventually he becomes transformed to be the father of the nation of Israel, the first one to bear the name Israel. But the interesting story about Jacob, the thing that I really like about him, the one place that I feel that he is the most admirable is at some point in time, and I won't go into all the details, but he meets the woman of his dreams. It happens to be like a second cousin, which is really weird for us, but let's just move past that. He meets the woman of his dreams, the love of his life, and he knows God has called me to marry this girl. He has made a claim. And I think that, you know, I don't think God said, hey, Jacob, you're supposed to marry this girl. And he's like, oh, man, I got to marry this girl. No, he was head over heels for her. Do you know why I know that? Because Laban said, okay, you can marry her, but you have to work seven years for me. And Laban's not a good boss. You'll find out that later. But he said you have to work seven years for me, and we never hear a lick of complaint out of Jacob in those seven years. Now, maybe he did have a day or two where he was like, is this really worth it? Like, is Rachel worth this work? But he persevered. And then he thinks he's like done it all. He's won the woman of his dreams. He goes into his marriage tent and I don't know if he's blind or what, but he ends up with the wrong sister. He ends up with Leah, who he was not into. He had no affection for. And it even kind of makes fun of her looks in the Bible. It says something about her face was like maybe a lazy eye or something. I don't know. But he gets her sister, her lesser sister Leah, and he says, okay, if you want Rachel, you've got to work for me another seven years. But he submits to this unjust deal because he's willing to go through anything to get to the love of his life to get to the call of God in his life. So when it says seek the kingdom of God first, I don't mean try to be Ned Flanders. I mean find out what God has called you to in this world. 
Find the love of your life. Find the job, the vocation that fulfills you, that God has called you to accomplish. Find the place of land that God has called you to and claim it and work even if it takes 14 years. Who of us in this room has had that type of tenacity to work 14 years single-mindedly on that goal so that we could get something that God had promised us? Most of us give up after a month. The prophet comes into town. He says, you're going to have this. A month later, we're like, it didn't happen. He didn't know what he was talking about. God has things for us, promises for us, but he also has a process that he takes us through. And what he's doing is he's not worried about giving us his promise. He knows he's going to fulfill that. What he's worried about is making us the person that can obtain the promise of God. So he went through all of this. That's what it means, seek the kingdom of God first with our money. Find the things that God has called you to, especially in your finances, and work for them. Because he wants to bring those things to pass. And that doesn't just mean work so that you can get the nicest car. We've talked about this ad nauseum. You know that what God has for you is even better, or you should know it's even better than just what money can buy. How you use your money will bring about the promises of God in your life in a way that can't be measured in Ferraris, that can't be measured in the nicest bottle of wine in the world, however good they are, that can't be measured in the nicest house. He's going to bring about something even deeper than that. And eventually it'll be the eternal weight of glory that we're promised. So when you press in and you find that thing that God has called you to to come to do, then it brings about a couple of things in your heart. First of all, you can be content with your daily bread. God never promises us more than our daily bread in the scriptures, right? He promises us what we need right now. That's what he tells us to pray for. Give us this day our daily bread. Are we content with that? Paul, one of our favorite here, we like to talk about him. He gets imprisoned, he gets beaten, and uh, he writes this letter and he goes, but I have learned to be content in everything. I've learned to be content when I have the really good stuff and when I get the really bad stuff because he holds on to the eternal perspective that he is laboring, co-laboring with Christ for the salvation of the people he knows and loves and for the whole world. That was a man who knew his mission on earth and he would go through anything to accomplish that. He even said, to die and be with Jesus would be way easier than what I'm doing now. But you know what? I love you. The churches he was writing to, the Christians that end up reading his writings throughout the entire ages, I love you that it's better for me to live here like Christ did. It's better for me to live here and lay down my life for you. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Find the thing God's called you to. Be content with what he's given you. And know that he will bring that to pass. It's really hard sometimes. I know it can sound really good from a pulpit. But we're talking about things that maybe you don't even know how to face. A mountain that you don't know how to surpass. A a difficulty that seems insurmountable. Yet God will give you that piece of hope that will get you through that time. It's not that you have to be thankful for the difficulties in your life. It's that you have to know that there's a bigger story. So you have to learn to be content with your daily bread. Also, when you're able to focus on those things that God has promised you, the ways that God's leading you, you can know the difference between bread for eating and seed for sowing. So what I'll just say here is God gives you a lot of resources over the course of your life. You need to know with him 
You need to pray through. You need to plan. And this is just wisdom here. You need to know what of those things are meant to be spent now. And what is he calling you to invest? Whether that's in the church, whether that's in savings, whether that's in a mission, whether that's in uh, 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 maybe God called you to start a coffee shop. I thought that would, that's kind of a fun job, right? Let's start a coffee shop. Maybe he called you to that. And you got to know what is God calling, what is God giving you that is for your current situation? And what is God asking you to put into the future hope that he has for you? That one's hard for me to talk about because I don't think I'm very good at it yet, right? When I get my money, it seems to disappear pretty fast. But God is teaching me over time, what are the things that he's calling me to invest in? What are the things that he's calling me to put away for his mission in my life? Basically, I'm saying pay attention. Pay attention to what's coming into your finances and what's going out. God will lead you in that. And if you need help... Is that where my, my note is here? Yeah. Okay. If you need help, let me tell you, there are people who can help you, even in this church. Lots of people who know the wisdom of God. When I moved to California, it didn't make any sense when I started to figure out how am I going to house my family here, grow my family here. I don't have enough money. I had debt from student loans. I had debt from credit cards. I had all sorts of stuff. And on top of that, I went from paying like, basically half the rent that I was paying in Massachusetts for the same space out here. I ended up paying double of what I paid in Massachusetts. Bad sentence formation. But the point is, I didn't know what to do. And I came to the men of this church, to the elders, the rector's council, and I said, I don't know what to do. And I tell you, each and every one of them, Father Powell, my dad, Father Jim, Deacon Steve House, who's out in Oklahoma, Bishop Kessler, every one of them, Father Conkle, had wisdom for me. And they helped me walk it out. And I'm not saying that I figured it all out, but we're here. We haven't had to skip a meal because we didn't have it. God provided, and the men of this church helped teach me how to look at my finances differently. And part of that was reading Dave Ramsey. You know, that's a really good resource if anybody wants to know. That's one place that you can go and learn some wisdom there. For me, that helped me. But the point is, you don't have to be alone in your finances. I know that there are people who will listen to this message, who look at their finances, and they don't even want to know what the numbers say because they feel like they're in a hole that they just can't get out of. I know that because I've been there. I've been there. What I'm saying is, ask God for help and come to the people in this church who are longing to help you grow through that because none of us have figured it all out. None of us. But God has given you the elders of the church to build you up and to train you up and to give you wisdom. And, you know, the whole point of that is that there is hope for you, no matter where you're at. God will provide. And then lastly, when you hold on to the things that God's called you to, you can be purposeful in resisting temptation to borrow from tomorrow to pay for today. There's a reason in our culture that the credit card companies have their names on football stadiums. There's a reason in our culture that the credit card companies are able to afford more advertising than almost every other sector combined. Because when we give in to the culture of now, as it's been called, where we give in to, but I want it today, they say, sign on the dotted line. No problem. You can have it, whatever you want. Just sign on the dotted line and watch your soul just get tied up with 
chains and bondage. In Proverbs, it basically says when you're in debt, when you get yourself in debt, it's like when a deer gets caught in a fowler's net, right? It's like when a deer gets caught in the trap of a hunter. It will literally chew its leg off to get out of that trap. That's what debt's like. Just throwing it out there. That's what it says in the Proverbs. So be paying attention. Now, of course, I'm not coming out here to tell you if you're in debt, then you're bad. And earlier we were talking about eternal consequences, and that's going to have eternal consequences. That's not the point. The point is we need to pay attention and see where God wants us to get out of the traps that we put ourselves in. Because the culture is spending every ounce of its ability to get you to spend more money than you actually have. It's, that's their goal. They found out if we just let them buy this stuff, then we'll get way more money than them waiting and saving and finding out when they can afford to buy something, right? Just wisdom today. And let me just say this. The reason it's important, and one scripture here, Ephesians 2.10, you were created, or sorry, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There's something that God wants you to do. And if you get yourself so tied up in debt and bad money management, then he might not be able to accomplish that thing through you in the way that he wants to. We actually can limit God's ability to accomplish his purposes in our life. We see that even in uh, Abraham. I heard this great story about how it caused all this grief in his family that God had never purposed because he, for a second, listened to his wife and had this other child through his handmaiden. When God had promised to bring his purposes about, he wanted it now. And it caused heartbreak and it caused difficulties. And while God is the God of redemption, I'm just letting you know, it's way easier and way better God's way. I've learned it from experience. I had that lesson taught to me all throughout my life, and it's still to this day something that I hold on to. I want to do it God's way. All right, there's lots of stuff here in these notes, but I want to get to our parable today. So let me look here real quick. Let's talk about the parable here. Jesus tells a story of a rich landowner who gives three servants an enormous amount of money. So you guys just heard it in the gospel lesson, but I'm just going to refresh your memory here for a second, right? He has three servants, and he gives them, it says, I believe, two, uh, one talent, two talent, and five talents, right? So basically, what that calculates to, according to biblical scholars, is he gave... The top guy who got the five talents, that's like $10 million. Imagine he gave a guy $10 million, the other guy $4 million, and the other guy $2 million. So it's no little sum, right? He doesn't just give them, we think like two talents, he gave them a couple coins, and then he wants them to double it. Like, what's the worth? What's the point? No, he's given them millions of dollars of his wealth to manage in a, in a show of trust. That is uh, staggering, right? He's like, I'm giving you this in trust, and I'm going to go away. And the best we can guess, he was gone for like 10 years. They do, scholars that are smarter than me figured out, it's probably about 10 years. He comes back, and what does he find? The first manager has doubled the money. So he's like, hey, you gave me $10 million? Here's $20 million. That's a good return on investment. And then the next guy comes up, and he goes, hey, you gave me $2 million? Here's $4 million. Pretty good return on investment. 
So let's read what happens with this last servant, though, right? He gets given a million dollars, and what happens here? Uh, Verse 24, Matthew 25. He also had received the one talent, the let's call it two million dollars, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, what you have is yours. So he goes, hey, you gave me $2 million? I got $2 million for you. Ten years, and he, all he has to show for it is, here's your money. I actually buried the money in the ground, and I brought it back to you. But his master, his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. In the New King James, it says, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not shown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. We're going to stop there for a second. So what's going on here? The guy comes up and says, I hid your money because I was scared that if I did anything with it, maybe I would lose some, and I know you're a harsh taskmaster, and you're going to come back, and you're going to be mad at me, and you reap where you don't sow, and all this stuff. He makes all these accusations at the master who trusted him with $2 million. And not only that, he blames it. He says, I was afraid, so I went and hid it in the field. But what does the master say? The master doesn't say, oh, man, you were scared. I understand. At least you preserved the money I gave you. The master doesn't say that. He says, no, actually, you weren't afraid of me. You are wicked and lazy. He completely misdiagnosed the whole thing. The guy's coming up. He's trying to justify himself. I was scared. And the master says, "Uh uh-uh, you weren't scared. You were wicked and lazy. Because he hid the thing that God had given him, that the master had given him, and he did not invest it the way that it was meant to be invested, right? He said, at the very least, you could have just deposited it in a bank account, and it would have been gaining interest. At the very least. But you know what? Because he didn't do that, he gets thrown out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what's the lesson for us? The lesson is we don't have a choice about our money in the sense that, uh, how do I say this, right? We don't have a choice to ignore the things that God's given us. We don't have a choice to bury those in the ground, to not develop them, to not work on them. And think, thinking of money, it's like God's not a harsh taskmaster. The servant said, you're a harsh taskmaster. You reap what you don't sow. We know that that's not true. But... In this world, when we lose sight of what God's doing in our life, we can think that way. Maybe you experienced some financial difficulty, or maybe you lost a job, or maybe somebody that you loved died of an illness, or maybe you, you know, you were betrayed by a close friend or relative. Maybe there's things that we encounter in this life that start to color our perception of who our master is. And so instead of pressing in, and finding the healing and the peace that God has for us, instead of that, we duck and we bury the things that God's put in us, the things that God's entrusted with us. We just try and ignore it because we start to think of God as this angry, harsh taskmaster. Or maybe you just don't care. I I, I honestly think there's times where we get caught up in our own things and we just don't care about what God wants to do in our life. Those two, misunderstanding God because you're wounded and broken, come to the river, come get healing, or you don't care, well, guess what? 
you have eternal choices to make. The things you do now matter and echo throughout eternity. So persevere. Press on. Find out. And not only that, but I'll tell you, I've learned it from people who are older and wiser than me. There is nothing better than investing in God's kingdom for your here and now as well. You want to heal your family? Pursue God. You want to heal your finances? Pursue God. You want to have an impact on the world? Pursue God. There's nothing better. And when we're talking about stewarding money, we're not talking about just you. We're talking about your kids and your grandkids on to numberless generations. There's something for us in the wisdom that the, the word teaches us about finances that is going to impact families. And do you know what God can use? God can use a group of people who are so focused on him that they'll even submit their finances to his wisdom. That are so focused on the things of God that they will even submit their time to his wisdom, their effort, their treasure. And they'll place it at his disposal. If we have a group of families at St. Michael's who think that way, then God can use us to change the world. I mean that seriously. St. Michael's has already changed the world. There's already legacies of people thousands of miles away who remember the contribution of St. Michael's in their life. And that just doesn't end, right? That doesn't just end. God actually wants every church to have a world impact for him. He wants to bring his kingdom to earth, and he's looking to and fro for people who are willing to get with his program. So as we end finances today, just remember three things. I don't know what the three are, but I'll come up with them as we go. Number one, there is hope no matter where you're at. You need to be honest. You need to know where you're at. You need to take a look at where you're at financially. But as you do that, and maybe you're in a really great place, and that's awesome. Come talk to me. I know places you can put your money if you have some extra. But the point is, if you don't and you're in the bottom of that pit, there is hope. Come to somebody. Ask for help. Like I mentioned, all of our elders, they have wisdom. They can share it. God's put them in this particular place to do that. There is hope. Number two, when you're looking at your finances, ask God to lead you. And be willing to do what he says, because he might tell you some stuff you don't want. Like, hey, you don't need that. I, I hesitate to mention things that I actually want, because then I'm afraid later my wife's like, didn't God tell you in a sermon you didn't need that? No, but the point is, he might tell you, you don't need that. I really honestly don't want to mention anything that I might want. Uh, you don't need that bottle of scotch. You don't need that, that, that nice pair of pants. You don't need whatever it is that you want to put your money into. God might be telling you, you don't need it. And that's okay. If you're willing to submit to him, he's got way more in his riches and glory that he will provide for you. And number three, we live from an eternal perspective. And that means that no matter how hard it is right now, there is eternity of riches and glory. There's nothing in this world that can take that from us, from the love of God, from the power of God. He is already reigning. So never operate out of fear. Always operate out of hope because he will lead you where he wants you to go. And it may not be where you think you want to go, but when we trust in his eternal blessings, it says even Jesus submitted himself to the torture and death for the glory that was set before him because he knew so well 
that God's glory outweighed any suffering he could go through. He could submit himself willfully to suffering and death. Might sound like a hard word, and it is, but the joy that is set before us is greater than we will ever be able to imagine. Amen? All right. Please stand. Continue the prayers of the people. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic church. May be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. Your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. That they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacrament. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. That there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. That they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. That life perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly peace. Father, the coming of the kingdom, and grant that we, thy servants, who now live by faith, may with joy behold the Son that is coming in glorious majesty, even Jesus Christ, our only mediator and advocate. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace. Peace. Good word. Okay, go ahead. The Lord be with you. So we have a video. Chaz, can you make sure that the uh, you can you can be seated. Um, you you ha- can you make sure that the computer channels all the way on the right side of the board are unmuted. Um, so we have a quick video. Um, don't play it yet, but it's going to come up on these screens, and it's just a little bit about our ICC missions offering. So. Go ahead and play that, and uh, we'll talk about it in a second.
basically, there are thousands of organizations that would love your money. Absolutely. Jesus has told us to give to the poor. It's throughout all of Scripture. This is our particular organization with people that some of us have met. I know Bishop has seen some of the things that they've done in Africa and around the world. And so if you feel led, then we have set up on the giving page on our website or on the Church Center app. Um, we do have a fund titled ICC Missions Fund. All of any money donated there will go straight to this organization. And if you want any more information, please let me know because they've got lots of charts and graphs and statistics about amazing things that they've been able to do in our churches in Africa. And if you want to do it by check, you can just write ICC Missions Offering. And we do that once a year. So, uh, Father Jim? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, and that's it. So for those online, he was just Father Jim was very familiar with this organization. He's saying that they give to micro businesses. They don't just throw money at people. They find ways to invest so that they can feed their families for the rest of their life. That they can have farms. That they can do all those things. And you might have seen some of that in the video. So like I said, if you need any more information, let us know. But you reap what you sow, and I will tell you the proceeds and i actually did get to see a presentation on it um by deacon john garrett it's amazing what they've been able to do with the little bit of funds it's multiplied over and over we just we thank god for that so if you want to give by check you can just write it in the memo line or online just look for the icc missions fund we do this giving once a year and uh yeah give If you want to help with the poor, we uh, we need a little help tomorrow at the society as well. Tuesday, we got a big shipment coming in, and anyone who can show up, uh, we'd love to have you help us put that away because that shipment is a little takes a little time. So, so thank you. Let me know uh, as we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist. Let us respond to God's word by engaging with Him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that it is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, but do not neglect to do good or to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name. 
with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let's give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death. And he's called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works. For you called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory. And we join in their unending hymn of praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you are holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread and he gave you thanks. He broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was entered, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us therefore proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup, We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and with all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Olivia, Connie, Susan, Carl, Serena, Naomi, Rachel, Nadia, Kyle, Sonia, Sandra, Maria, Karen, Douglas, Father David and Darcy, Tammy, Thomas, Kyla, Don, Dan, Bishop Davidson, Jason, the Landon family, Gage, Marines and Sailors of Camp Pendleton. You may add the names of those you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken as we receive the body and blood of Jesus. May we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, the martyrs, with St. Michael and all thy saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper table. Body and blood of Christ.
God, Heavenly Father, you graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world, seeking the ruin of our souls. As you go out from this place, remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling. Reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against him. He loves us, and he's not mad at us, and he's forgiven us, and he'll never leave us or forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. That sealed the promise, your buried body. Rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.